Welcome to the Dead Lady Show podcast. The Dead Lady Show tells the stories of amazing women from history, well known to overlooked. We take the stage in Berlin and beyond to share them with a delightful live audience and then bring these stories to you here on the podcast. I'm Susan Stone and I'm joined by Dead Lady Show co-founder Katie Derbyshire. Hello there. Hi Susan, lovely to be here today. It's lovely to have you. And it's lovely to have this talk because in this episode, we have our very first geographer. Doreen Massey was a pioneer in her field. She challenged existing ideas about space, place, and power, and was compassionate, politically active, and hopeful. Our talk's presented by Agata Lisiak. Agata is a professor of migration studies at Bard College Berlin, and she's previously been on our show before talking about Marie Curie and Rosa Luxemburg. Here she is, live from the stage. Doreen Mercy, pictured here looking badass in a pixie cut with a propped up collar and a colorful scarf wrapped around her neck, was born into a white working class family in Manchester in 1944 and died in her adopted home of Kilburn, a neighborhood in northwest London, in 2016. She was an academic, a public intellectual, and a prominent figure in British leftist politics. She was also, as one of her colleagues told me, born a geographer. Her commitment to geographical thinking extended to all areas of life, from football pitches to laundromats. Massey once explained her lasting passion for geography by recalling her childhood fascination with maps. I was lucky enough to have an atlas and a globe at home when I was a kid. And just one of the stories I tell at the beginning of one of the books I wrote, a really theoretical book, but to try and explain this passion for geography, is about how I used to sit in bed at night and spin the globe or turn the pages of the atlas and just close my eyes and jam my finger down and see where it landed. And if it landed on land, to try and imagine what time it was in that place, what the people were doing there, what season it was, you know, what kind of landscape it was, what, the, what kind of people incredibly naive. I was a young kid. Even then, there was some kind of um, spirit of curiosity and inquiry about the wider world, which must have been one of the ingredients that led me into being a geographer. I've certainly still got it. When you look up Doreen Massey online, you'll see that she's sometimes referred to as a Marxist geographer, a feminist geographer, a cultural geographer, and so on. But she wasn't much into labels herself, neither professionally nor in her private life. Her thinking was definitely influenced by Marxism and feminism, but not exclusively. It was shaped by approaches from many different disciplines, from post-colonial theory to geology. And as her colleague John Allen told me... This Dora was not just interested in geography for geography's sake. There was always a purpose, and that purpose was political, because geography and its relationships was always power-laden, full of inequalities... And she wanted to pull those out and try to, you know, make life, a, a, make a better life for people politically. The concept she developed, a global sense of place, thrown togetherness, power geometries, a politics of place beyond place, and many others, have since been picked up by academics from across different areas, from urban sociology to performance studies to migration research. Geography was central uh, to how she made sense of the world, and here's why. The way we are, and the way places are, is a product of our interrelations with, with everywhere else. So England could not be England without having had that empire. 
and the way in which it is England is a result of all of those relations. The fact that I have the characteristics I have is a result of the geographies within which I am set. And those geographies, those relations within which I am set, are all full of power. So let's have a closer look at the geographies within which she was set, the places that shaped her politics. Here's what she once said about her childhood. I was born in Manchester. From about the age of four, I lived in Withenshaw, which was at the time, as it was built, the biggest council estate in the world. And I lived in a bit which was built in the 30s, when it was really believed that working-class people should have decent housing. Imagine. And I grew up thinking of public sector housing as something wonderful. I really regret the passing of securities that that place used to offer. You know, I'm in the welfare state generation. And I needed it because I, ha I have quite a lot of problems with my health. I've got fragile bones, so I broke my bones all the time. I needed the health service. So had there not been a welfare state and the hospitals, I would probably not have survived so well. And I had state education. You knew you could always get your bones mended and you had a house. And there had been the 1944 Education Act, which meant that people like us, for the first time, had a right to decent schooling. And somehow there were enormous securities about all that. I really feel, in a kind of physical, personal way, the need for a welfare state, not as a safety net, but just for ordinary people simply to provide a decent life. I experienced that quite directly. A lot of one's politics comes from that kind of thinking. It's not invented. You grow with it. Massey's insistence to take spatial politics seriously was rooted in her childhood. In a 1992 essay titled Space, Place and Gender, she recalls a moment of revelation she had as a little girl traveling on the bus from Withenshaw to the center of Manchester. So she's looking out the window and here's what she sees. All of it, all of these acres of Manchester was divided up into football pitches and rugby pitches. And on Saturdays, which was when we went into town, the whole vast area would be covered with hundreds of little people all running around after balls as far as the eye could see. I remember all this very sharply, and I remember too, it's striking me very clearly, even then, as a puzzled, slightly thoughtful little girl, that all this huge stretch of the Mersey floodplain had been entirely given over to boys. I did not go to those playing fields. They seemed barred, another world. Though today, with more nerve, and some consciousness of being a space invader, I do stand on football terraces and love it. So I went to Withenshaw last spring and was happy to see it bathed in the golden glory of my favorite plant, dandelions. Mm -hmm. I also took a bus from the council estate to the city center, but didn't see too many football pitches. And instead, I spotted something much more menacing, golf courses. <laughs> Growing up in a working-class community laid the political foundations for Doreen Massey. Her visceral understanding of class politics was later reflected in her work. As a gifted child, she got into the Manchester High School for Girls, pictured here on a sunny April day, a, a fancy school that prides itself in prominent alumni such as the Punkhart sisters. All three went there. We also have some pictures of Doreen Massey from that school. You can see her here in the first row, sporting a buffont. And here's another class photo. She's also sitting in the first row. After high school, Matthew received a scholarship to study geography at St. Hugh's College in Oxford, where she excelled academically but felt out of place as a working-class woman from England's north. 
In fact, she developed a lasting aversion to elite schools, so much so that she later rejected job offers from prestigious universities and didn't hide her contempt for colleagues who succumbed to the lure of Oxbridge. As a committed leftist, Doreen Massey was dedicated to popular education. In 1982, she took up professorship at the Open University, spent nearly three decades there. And loved every minute of it. In, in a way, the Open University has been for me the ideal place to teach and to do research because of its social project and because of the way in which it really encourages us as academics to speak beyond the academy as well as within. The Open University, or the OU, is located in Milton Keynes, which is about 50 miles north of London. It was established in 1969 by the Labour government under Prime Minister Harold Wilson to literally open up uh, access to higher education to a wider variety of people. It was a social democratic experiment in mass education via television and mailed educational packages. Because at that time, in the early 70s, only about 8% of young people in the UK went to university. So the OU was often referred to as the University of the Second Chance. People who, for various reasons, got off the academic track had a chance later on in life as mature adults to get a degree. And Massey, as her colleagues told me, felt proud of being part of a university that gave people that opportunity. For her, the point of education was to give people the confidence and the awareness to think for themselves. Massey commuted to the Open University from her home on Ariel Road in Kilburn. She didn't own a car, so she'd take the train from London's Euston Station, or she'd catch a ride with her neighbor, Stuart Hall, mm -hmm. <laughs> the acclaimed cultural theorist. Pictured here, manning a nursery at the Women's Liberation Movement Conference at Ruskin College in Oxford in 1970. So that's half a century before the emergence of the Internet Daddy. <laughs> so, yeah, a man ahead of his time. For years, Massey and Hall would spend hours every week talking about all sorts of things, including politics, of course. They were involved in various projects together, reading groups, a manifesto, the journal soundings, and more. When you read their essays, book chapters, and opinion pieces, each of them published separately, or listen to their lectures, especially those from the 1990s, which you can find on YouTube, it's not always easy to tell who came up with this or that concept or framing first. Many of their ideas developed in conversation, and neither Massey nor Hall seemed proprietary about them. They cared about what those ideas could do, what action they could initiate, rather than about citation numbers and impact, as is so common under today's neoliberal academic regime. Massey had very little patience for colleagues who felt so cozy in lecture halls and conference rooms that they hardly ventured beyond them. She certainly did. Not only was she a fixture at various protests and community meetings, she also understood the mass appeal of television and embraced the medium with all its awkwardness and silliness. If you dig deep on YouTube, you'll find a 1999 BBC Two documentary about Mexico City in which a grinning Massey hovers around the metropolis in a helicopter and traverses the city's many different social worlds, asking pointed questions. So, the question we have to face is who has the power here? Who calls the shots in a city as big as this? Whose city? Whose city is it? As an established and widely admired scholar, Massey was up for the OBE. 
the order of the British Empire and gleefully rejected it. <laughs> Which, in light of the ongoing royal horror picture show, <laughs> continues to be an important gesture, I think. She did accept many other awards and honorary doctorates, and as you can tell by these photos, she looked quite pleased to receive such accolades. Alongside her illustrious academic career, which she somehow managed to have without ever obtaining a PhD, which, you know, unheard of today, but, I mean, she did have a master's degree from the University of Pennsylvania. Um, as she was politically involved locally and internationally with the Sandinistas in Nicaragua, the municipal socialist projects in London, the UK miners' strike. So she basically spent the 1980s fighting Margaret Thatcher <laughs> on several fronts. Later on, she became an avid supporter of the Occupy movement and the anti-austerity movements in Greece, among many other initiatives. One of her concepts, power geometries, was adopted by no other than Venezuela's then-president, Hugo Chavez, as one of the five engines of the Bolivarian Revolution. Here it is, La Nueva Geometría del Poder. Building on Massey's observations that any place, a country, a city, or neighborhood is the product of political, economic, and affective relations between different actors, and that those relations are unequal, shaped by gender, race, class, and other factors, Chavez set up the foundations for communal councils, uh, consejos comunales, in which community members identified their economic and social priorities and organized themselves bottom-up to solve the problems with some assistance from the state. Well, the actual implementation of this concept hasn't been as liberatory as Chavez initially envisioned. Still, Massey was elated to break academia elitist boundaries and chuffed, as British academics say on Twitter, <laughs> that her ideas made it outside university halls and pages of academic journals onto actual streets. When she arrived in Caracas in 2007, she was struck by the sight of political billboards announcing new geometries of power and photographed them with admitted self-indulgence. Messi's participation in a wide range of political projects doesn't mean that she instantly belonged in those spaces. In fact, she often did feel like a space invader. Here's how she recalled the experience of working on a labor policy committee, labor party policy committee in the 1970s. It is difficult to exude gravitas when you're five foot one and the committee room table comes up to your chin when you're blonde and a girl who is not wearing a suit. Throughout my intermittent attempts to engage with the establishment of this country, I've been left in no doubt that your ideas are evaluated through a filter, unacknowledged and often unintended, of expectation of a particular kind of embodiment. You can play the required female game and smile a lot, or you can adopt a deportment that says you take yourself very, very seriously. There's a self-importance that brings out in me an overwhelming desire to prick it. It is itself a form of class and gender war. Massey's thinking was clearly influenced by feminist theory, to which she also contributed greatly herself. As she once said, feminists have to be everywhere, and doing feminist geography is about a lot more than studying gender specifically. It's an outlook on life. She was wary of all essentialisms, including those in the women's movements of her time, and arguably now. 
because the discussions that were going on in some parts of early feminist geography were about the problems of being a woman, but also about being a particular kind of woman. And that kind of woman, with husband and children, etc., did not include me. I knew the category itself was problematical. Massey collaborated with artists, uh, many different ones, including Akud's neighbor, Olafur Eliasson. She wrote an essay for the catalog accompanying his spectacular Tate Modern Show pictured here, The Weather Project, and also visited his studio here in Berlin. She also regularly worked with Platform, which is a London-based collective of artists, activists, and researchers who address social and ecological justice issues. And she supported their efforts to push major museums, including the Tate, to break sponsorship deals with big oil. And she is pictured here with one of the activists at that event. Uh, One of Platform's members, James Marriott, told me what happened at that event. And of course, who turned up was very happy to do it, was Doreen. And again, I just love that naughtiness of her. Because now I understand that, you know, there are lots of other academics, bless them, who would go, oh, I can't be involved in this kind of basically pirate thing that has squatted the main gallery and they're going to get kicked out any time. Because if I do that, then I'll be struck off the list of being a proper, you know, Tate talker person. And, she, you know, she'd done lots of stuff for Tate, big stuff, you know. But no, 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 Doreen, because she was basically badly behaved a lot of the time, was... Great. She's just like, right, let's do this. And in she marched and bang, she held, you know, just, just, I loved her for that. Really loved her. Badly behaved. All of Massey's friends and collaborators I got to speak to emphasize how curious she was about the world. She struggled with health all her life, but that doesn't stop her from traveling far and wide. Even all the way up to the Arctic, which she did for her 60th birthday on a small ex-Soviet research boat and then commemorated the trip on the cover of, this opus, of her Opus Magnum for Space. In short, as one person told me, she was a huge ball of energy, and she liked to laugh. I remember that laugh myself. Um, I mean, I only met her once, but there was a lot of laughter. <laughs> I met her at a talk she gave at the Think and Drink Colloquium, which is an excellent name for any event. It's a lecture series that sociologist Talia Blockland organizes at Humboldt's, um, at Humboldt University here in Berlin every Monday morning. So for everyone in the audience, you're invited. It's for free. Everyone is welcome. And Doreen Massey came to Berlin in 2013 to give a talk there. And I just remember the room was completely packed and she was amazing, so charismatic and serious and entertaining at the same time. And listening to her, I thought she'd make a great dinner companion. And we went to dinner after her talk with a small group of colleagues. And, of course, everyone wanted to sit right next to her because the <laughs> academic celebrity vibe was very palpable, but not because she was a diva. It's because, you know, we wanted to sit right next to her. She herself was very down-to-earth, very uh, casual, not snobbish at all, and very, very funny. She was also, as I learned from her friends, a very private person and didn't reveal much about her life in interviews. She once defined herself, I am daughter, sister, friend, lecturer, fan of Liverpool Football Club. Not common for someone from Manchester, right? (laughs) I am me because of all the relationships I have. We know that she was very close with her parents and traveled regularly to Withenshaw to see them until they died. 
And she also had a beautiful relationship with her only sibling, Hillary, who is still alive. So Matthew must have talked about football a lot because all of her friends I spoke to emphasized that she was a huge Liverpool fan. She's known to have hummed their anthem on epic hikes she liked to take with her sister Hillary. When you walk through a storm, hold your hand up high and don't be afraid of the dark. Any Liverpool fans in the audience? No, no, okay. No, I, I, I don't do football either. <laughs> Massey did, and her sister as well. And the Massey sisters also shared interest in bird watching. Here they are on a hiking trail in Lake District. Uh, and though you see them admiring ducks in this particular photo, Doreen's favorite bird was the swift. Massey didn't have any children, but as one of her friends put it, she unconsciously created a family of people who were very close to her and very affectionate towards her. That sense of family of thought, it's very special. Doreen Massey died suddenly on the 11th of March, 2016, leaving her friends and comrades with an overpowering sense of loss. Her dear friend, socialist feminist Hilary Wainwright, there she is, <laughs> wrote a moving obituary in which she conveys that widely shared feeling of shock and emptiness. One of the people grieving Massey wrote, now we understand what everyone else felt about David Bowie. <laughs> so Bowie died two months before Massey, and although her fame was nowhere close to that of a global rock star, Massey did have a strong following across academia, activist groups, and art circles. Her commentary, her sharp mind, and her laughter are dearly missed. And there's still so much to learn from her. One of the biggest takeaways and inspirations for me personally is her insistence that there is an alternative to the neoliberal order. She had lived through the post-war welfare state era, which, by the way, she didn't think was ideal, uh, more of a social democratic compromise than the truly liberatory politics that she was striving for. But she knew that despite of what the high priests and priestesses of neoliberalism claimed, another world was possible and still is. Much of her work in research, education, political organizing, and other collaborations was focused precisely on that, fighting neoliberal... It's a, such a difficult world. It's, I mean, it's everywhere, and it's impossible to pronounce, right? Fighting neoliberalism and setting up foundations for a world centered on a sense of responsibility and a politics of place beyond place, as she called it. Acknowledging the profound ways in which humans and non-humans are interconnected. Addressing the unequal power geometries that shape the geographies in which we are set. And developing inclusive political structures for this new, better world to emerge. We can still build on that. So if you'd like to learn more about Doreen Massey, I made it very easy for you because I made a podcast. <laughs> so it's a 10-part series on space, society, and power inspired by Massey's life and work. I interviewed her collaborators and friends and also other scholars and artists and activists who engage with spatial politics in ways that I find inspiring. You can find it on any podcast app. What's it called? 
Spatial Delight. <laughs> the podcast is called Spatial Delight, which was the working title for Massey's arguably most important book for space. But also read Doreen Massey. <laughs> the first essay that I read was uh, Space, Place and Gender, the one in which she talks about herself as a space invader. It's really beautifully written and continues to resonate on so many levels, even though it was published 30 years ago. Another one I recommend is A Global Sense of Place, which was first published in Marxism Today in 1991. And it includes a very vivid passage of Massey walking down Kilburn High Road, which is the shopping street in her neighborhood in London. And she uses that walk to illustrate her ideas on globalization, British imperialism, and social inequalities. So you can find it online for free or in a recent selection of her political writings published by Lawrence and Wishart. Thank you. Agatha Lisiak on Doreen Massey, recorded in Berlanza Kud. Thanks to Johannes Brown, Adomus Laurinaitis, and Christian Becking for their kind assistance. We also had support from Anais Engler and Abdullah Nasser at the show. For more on Doreen Massey, do check out Agatha's series about her, the beautifully named Spatial Delight, wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, as we've mentioned on a previous episode, I actually worked with Agata on this series as a senior editor. And while as a former cultural studies scholar, I had read some of the other academics mentioned in the series, such as Stuart Hall, I had never been aware of Doreen Massey. Katie, had you heard of her before Agata's talk? No, I hadn't either, no. Well, she seems like, um, you know, kind of well known for her period in the UK as this kind of public intellectual. That's not something that... I had that much familiarity with, I guess. Yeah, I think maybe the, the open university connection is the thing, right? And, and it's, I think it's hard to understand if you're not of a certain generation from the UK. But the open university was this amazing, it still is, in fact, this amazing institution. But it, was, it used to be very visible because it was, it was for people who wanted to study but maybe didn't have time to take out from work. So they had early in the morning, they had all these crazy TV shows which we would get up, you know, as kids and put on the TV and be there's a guy talking about physics, you know, at seven in the morning. Fascinating. So you you would have these kind of um, incidental uh, encounters with with intellectuals just in your own home, obviously intended for students, but they were they became part of society. Yeah. Well, if you want to have more encounters with Dory Massey, do check out that podcast because. It really takes you all over the place. It covers a world of topics from Coventry Cathedral to academic protests in Germany to politics and urban planning in Turkey. So hopefully it gives you a little bit of that kind of academic or or, or complex thinking in the home, but you can take it anywhere with your podcast. Ah, that's just what I need. So if you'd like to see a live Dead Lady show here in Berlin, we'll be joining Podfest Berlin again in October. The festival runs from October the 13th to 15th and there'll be all kinds of live tapings, workshops and other opportunities for podcast makers and fans of all interests and languages to meet up. That's right. Our show will be on Saturday, October 14th at 8.15pm. To purchase advanced tickets, which you should do, just follow the link provided in the episode notes and on social media at Dead Lady Show. And if you're in New York, you can see a Dead Lady show there just about monthly. Follow them on Instagram at DeadLadiesNYC to get the latest news. They also have a newsletter, as do we, and we'll put links to those both in our show notes. 
You can also now find us over at Blue Sky. We are at deadladyshow.bsky.social. And we have a Patreon with fun features as well as a tea public shop. And I'll drop links for you in the show notes for all those things. For more on Doreen Massey, some pictures and some links and information about Spatial Delight, do just go over to our website, deadladyshow.com slash podcast. Thanks again to Agata and to our other co-founder, Florian Dousens, who is busy this summer teaching and having adventures. And thank you, Katie. My pleasure, Susan. Thank you as well to all of you listeners, fans and friends out there. We love it when you share our show with others. We'll be back next month with another fabulous dead lady. The Dead Lady Show was founded by Florian Dowsons and Katie Darmashire. The podcast is created, produced, and edited by me, Susan Stone. Our theme song is Little Lily Swing by Tritachion. See you next time. Yeah. <laughs>